Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have a fascinating guest today, Drew Boyd from Cincinnati, Ohio. Drew is a global leader in creativity, innovation, he's a public speaker, is an award-winning author, and a blogger and podcaster too. So, you know, multifaceted personality is who we have today. He teaches at the University of Cincinnati. He teaches creativity, innovation, persuasion, and we'll find out all about that. He's had a 30-year career on the corporate side before he moved into what he does today, which is teaching. His book, Adding Prestige to Your Portfolio, is his latest book, and we'll talk about that as well. And then his podcast too. So welcome, Drew. Thanks, Rajiv. Great to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> be happy to. I, I, um, I'm very happy in my my current life as a as a professor. But you know, truthfully, I'm as you mentioned, I'm really a corporate guy. Um, but I, I'm I'm fortunate that I've had this long career in marketing, the variety of different um, roles, learned so many things along the way, um, and today. You know, my my real passion is um, is getting with my, not just my students, but also people out in the in the in the world of business and, and other industries. People, you know, trying to move themselves ahead. Right? We we uh, we are um, always facing challenges, and and I'm always out there trying to motivate people. What what can they do to move themselves forward? How do they you know, find what they want to do in life. Um, so I spend a lot of time keynote speaking. I'm on the road a lot um, and uh, spending time writing and, and now podcasting. I'm staying busy, kind of like you are. <laughs> awesome. So talk to us a little bit about your corporate career. Yeah, thank you. So I, um, you know, my, my career has been with large organizations. I, I started my career actually in the military. Uh, I was in the U.S. Air Force for um, about six years, but my corporate career started in um, in transportation. I was in the airline business uh, with United Airlines for ten years. Um, you know, it's a it's a fun job for a young guy. I was single and could fly anywhere in the world. But I'll tell you what, airlines has to be one of the toughest business models. In the world, it's it's such a, and as we're seeing now with COVID, it's a, it's a really tough business. But I learned a ton. I learned a lot about how globalization really impacts um, so much about society and what happens in different cultures. Um, and the airline business is is union intensive. It's it's capital intensive. It's very operational intensive. It was a great starting point for my career, and that's also where I learned uh, sales um, and sales and marketing. I was in marketing. And then one day I got, after I got my MBA, I, I got a call from um, a recruiter. I'll never forget. She uh, said, hey, we have a, a wonderful opportunity. You come so well regarded. And it's with a company called Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> I laughed. I said, Johnson & Johnson? Oh, are they the ones that make uh, Pledge and, and other cleaning products? <laughs> That was SC Johnson. I had the mm -hmm. wrong company. I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know the company. And the recruiter laughed and, and she said, "You know, I think you're the perfect candidate because they're looking for somebody that knows nothing about them." And I said, "Boy, you found the right guy for that." And it and so they hired me. Uh, 
and I was with J&J for 17 years in the medical device industry. Wow. And so my career went from, uh, from the military where I worked in nuclear missiles to airline marketing to, uh, at this time, it was gynecology uh, medical device marketing. Not exactly the linear career path, right? A lot of pivots in there, a lot of, a lot of changes, but it was a just, just great at J&J. Um, many different roles again, international, um, mergers and acquisitions, sales, marketing. It was, it was just a, a fun, fun job. But, you know, after a long time, you, 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 um, corp, the corporate world takes a, a tax on people and it, it really, does get uh, to a point where if nothing's new, you've got to pivot and change. And I was fortunate to be able to retire and um, University of Cincinnati graciously offered me a, a, a teaching job, a full-time teaching position. And, um, and that's how my career has moved. You know, not, not linear at all, but this very, very distinct different uh, transitions. Uh, and, and as you know, Rajiv, I'm sure you'd agree. It really is the transitions that we make in life that define us, not so much the what we actually do. It's, it's how we make the changes from, from, from different points um, in our life. And you're absolutely right, you know, and that's, that's the exciting part, right? It's not linear. So, you know, you get to do different things uh, and you get to evolve and you got to keep evolving. And, and that's the key. Yeah, it, it, um, I, every so often I, I'm, I'm asked to talk a little bit about my career like now. And, and I do tell people and I tell my students, my young students, I was on a call this morning with several of them. And I told them, I said, think, think about the, 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 how you're going to evolve and, and don't think just about today. Um, you know, there used to be an old saying, um, with young people, we would say, Oh, you got to find your passion. Um, and what I'm more inclined to tell the young people today is, do something, start somewhere, but be willing and able to pivot and evolve as you learn new experiences, as you learn more. Don't just stick with that, you know, the status quo. And, and that my career punctuates that, or, you know, just makes that point so clearly. Uh, it, it's, um, uh, and even as I get where I am now in my, my career, <clears throat> I still have to continue to evolve. I tell people this, I say to them, Never let a year go by without developing some part of your skill set, either professionally or personally. Every year, make a plan. Because I find so many people ignore their own development. They ignore their growth. And that's a huge mistake. They'll get stale for sure. So let me ask you this, Drew. something that I've always been curious about. And you probably are the perfect candidate. You've been in the military. You've been on the corporate side of the aisle. How would you compare and contrast these two kinds of uh, life? You know, when I yeah, say life, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, so, it, you know, surprisingly, uh, military is a, a wonderful uh, corporate culture, uh, very hierarchical by, by design, but um, very inclusive. Uh, well, I think what a lot of times people don't realize, the, the military tends to be ahead of the rest of society in terms of diversity and inclusion, leadership. Um, the military moves quickly to make changes um, and embrace, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the human aspect of what the military is about. And I, I loved it. And I'm a big supporter. I'm, I'm still 
very much involved with my um, uh, alumni, the United States Air Force Academy. I visit them every year and maintain contact with uh, with my uh, classmates from the academy, and I maintain um, the opportunity to counsel young people that want to consider a career in the military. It's a great start. Um, I was only in for six years after the academy, but corporate-wise, it prepared me so well. As long as you make the transition, here we go again, you know, the, the transitions. And so there are um, a lot of similarities. I like to focus on the similarities between the military life and the corporate life. Really, the only difference is one has a uniform and the other one doesn't in a, in a formal way. I, some people would say, oh, no, there are companies that have a distinct uniform. So here in Cincinnati, we have a, a very successful company called Cintas. Mm -hmm. It's a company that uh, services um, uh, companies with uniforms and safety equipment, things like that, Cintas. And if you go to their corporate headquarters, which is about 10 minutes from my house, everybody's wearing a suit, a white shirt, and a, a conservative tie, very much a uniform. So believe it or not, there are a lot of similarities between the, the military life and the corporate life. And, and a lot of companies, I'm sure you'll, you know this, they seek out young junior military people to transition them in because they've learned that discipline, they've learned that, that order, that hierarchy, that energy that's needed to succeed. Um, and for me, it was a great start to my career. So, you know, being in the corporate environment and coming from the military too, like you said, it's hierarchical, right? So there's the aspect of traditional leadership and if we look at modern times today, there's a lot of focus on the skill set different people bring, the expertise they bring, their piece of work and how they handle it. And leadership has kind of moved on to, from the traditional way to being more collaborative, more participative, more dependency on people doing their individual pieces of work and being accountable and responsible for it. What's your take on that? So it, it's interesting now to be in um, the academic world where let me start with, with that and then work backwards um, to, to what I'm experiencing now. You talk about a transition. I'll tell you what, the transition from military to corporate wasn't anywhere near as interesting and challenging as corporate to academia. The, the, and here's why. The academic world is... Think of it as an upside-down pyramid. So a corporation or a military unit has the CEO, the general at the top, and then has vice presidents and then directors and managers, a nice hierarchical pyramid with the boss at the top. Academia, it's upside-down. And the dean of a college is actually at the bottom, and the who leads the college are the faculty. And it took me a while to... To, to understand that. And what, what I've learned is leadership, um, if you really want to find good examples of leadership, look at the deans of any college, uh, U.S. or abroad. They have such an, an amazingly difficult job because they have to be strong leaders, but servant leaders. They have mm -hmm. to have the ability to collaborate with the, the all-powerful uh, faculty. The faculty are the dominant force at a university. I didn't understand this. Um, in fact, a quick funny story. I, my, my department chair, I thought when she brought me on board, um, I thought I looked at her as my boss. You know, department chair. So I, Karen would ask me to do anything, and I would say, of course, you know, you're the boss, right? I, 
I didn't realize that she really wasn't my boss. She, she's um, my equal, and we call her the first among equals. But she's asking me more out of um, a, a need, and I'm doing it out of my – at first I was doing it because I thought she was my boss. Now, of course, I do it as a colleague. And it's a, it's a different model. And so you look at how academics have to learn to be leaders and what they can transmit in terms of the corporate world. The best leaders in the corporate world, my best bosses were those that were collaborative and servant. They, they, they lived for one thing. Drew, what can I do to make you succeed? What can I help you with to, to turn you into the, the kind of um, person you want to be, to be the best version of yourself? And the military, too. The military has certain situations where it's not servant. It's more master um, by, by definition. In certain combat situations, there has to be a command and control. But in peacetime and, and when we talk about development of the future, you will see the, lead, the, the military is extremely well-versed in, in military leadership training of different models and practicing that. Um, it was a rich culture of succession planning, grooming leaders at all levels to move into, into um, higher positions. And, and so it's, but they're, they're distinct, the military, the corporate world, the academia, academia, they have their nuances, but the common theme review, I think is, is what you're looking for too, is this idea that collaborative servant leaders is the way of the world today. That is the, the person that's going to really make people be their best. Absolutely. So, you know, you teach creativity and innovation today. So what has your experience been with both of them throughout your years? Yeah, so creativity, innovation, they, they are, uh, that's really my sweet spot. Uh, I, I start to get very animated and excited when we, when we get to that topic. And What's true is that I've been a probably a, a tinkerer and innovator all my life, but I was very fortunate in my corporate career at J&J to learn about this guy named Jacob Goldenberg. And he's this uh, uh, professor. At the time, he was at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And Jacob changed my life. And, and today, he's still a, my dear friend, close friend and colleague and co-author. We talk all the time. He's, he's now in Tel Aviv, and we're like two little schoolboys that just get together and talk about things. But here's the magical story about what Jacob did. Creativity is a skill that can be learned by anybody. It's not a gift. Most people think creativity is something that you have to be born with. And what's true is that you can be creative no matter where you're starting from in the creativity scale. The secret is in patterns of thought. What Jacob did is he studied highly innovative products in his research. He, he wanted to see what was common among them or what was different among them. And what he found is that the most successful, highly innovative products in the world tend to follow a set of patterns, patterns that can be reapplied to any product, process, or service. And what we believe is that for thousands of years, everyday innovators have used patterns in their inventions usually without even realizing it. And those patterns are now embedded into the products and services you see around you every day. They're like the DNA of a product. And so we've created this method 
this method of creativity, of innovation, called systematic inventive thinking that allows you to take one of these five patterns and apply it to create innovations on demand, innovative ideas. Uh, I've tried every innovation method out there. God knows I've tried brainstorming, disruptive innovation, lateral thinking, design thinking. I've tried everything. And I, I, I was thrilled to find this method. And, and now it, it talk about changing my life. It's, a, it's really a, a fun thing to do to teach somebody that didn't think they were creative at all. Now, all of a sudden, they know they can be creative. You talk about a pivot in one's life, right? A plan B. It's it's really a remarkable thing to see somebody become more creative learning this method. Today's world, especially with everything that's happening with you know SaaS-based products and the Ubers of the world and the WeWorks of the world and all that, and then you see when you look at it, when you look at any of these companies, it's about taking what we already know and then giving it a different spin. That's what we see mostly. Whether you take Uber, whether you take uh, um, you know, we work. It's yeah. just, it's still real estate. You know, now you're saying, okay, you pick up your short-term office here, or I'll I'll give you all the services. Go and find your space. <laughs> Some of them have done well. Some of them have uh, floundered. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of money thrown at them. You know, what what do you have to say in terms of some of these big fiascos we're seeing today? Yeah, yeah. Here's what what, uh, what you said that resonates right away is that. Innovation is really taking something old and making it new. Um, innovation is the process of taking an, an old idea and, and revamping it to create new value. Uh, everything new has an old idea in it. If not, then it's not innovation. It's something we call discovery. And so I want people to know that there's a big difference between innovation and discovery. They're different processes. I, uh, creativity is the, what you do in your head to produce the idea. Innovation is what you do to put it into practice. And so you mentioned some great examples, Uber, WeWork, you know, Airbnb, some of these new models that are emerging. Well, here's what's, here's what I would tell, tell your, your listeners, Rajiv, is that any innovative idea in, in a large percentage of the cases, not a hundred percent, if you look inside that idea embedded inside of it will be a pattern that has been used before uh and jacob's original research that i love the title of the paper he called it the voice of the product imagine not the voice of the customer but imagine you could talk to a product you could interview a product and it could it could tell you its history its wisdom and Essentially, that's the, the, the beauty of this, um, this framework, this model, this idea of patterns of thought. And so I look at, I look at uh, uh, these new innovations, and I'm always quick to, to see the pattern that's inside it. But here's the insight. Here's the in interesting part about this. When Jacob did his research, he actually studied two types of innovative products. One group of innovative products were successful in the market. A second group of innovative products were innovative but failures in the marketplace. Okay, so they were still great ideas, but they didn't succeed in the marketplace. When he looked at these two distinct groups, what he found is in the group of highly innovative successful products, 
a very high percentage of those could be explained by one of these five patterns. And in the other group of innovative, unsuccessful products, a very low percentage of those could be explained by those patterns. That's why his research is published in the two most prestigious journals in the world, Nature and Science. And so to your point about these fiascos, I, what I suspect right away is that you had a, an interesting idea. Fundamentally, it, it's not one of these pattern-based ideas. It still may succeed, but if I were a betting man, if I'm putting money in the stock market, I'm going to immediately look for those ideas that tend to have a pattern-based approach to it. Everybody hates using Apple, for example, all the time, but you look at Apple, I am certain Stephen Jobs used patterns to produce the kinds of innovate. That's why he was such an effective innovator. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I'm this, this uh, mindset of follow the wisdom of hundreds and thousands of years of how mankind has innovated in the past as a way to move innovatively into the future. And I think we see a prime example of that in our current times as well, you know. If it's, if it's the U.S., the West, that's innovating first, the East is basically replicating it, right? And, and sometimes there are, there are countries that are probably 10 years behind where the U.S. is, and they're just playing catch-up. And that's where the, most of their innovation comes from, on the very same track that, uh, you know, the West has already been on. So that's something that I've seen very primarily uh, in healthcare. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree, having worked in, um, a lot in Asia, a lot in, in Europe, the, the West tends to create the idea. Um, you know, for years, Japan was notorious for, you know, sort of the knockoff. And, mm -hmm. and what Japan has managed to do is move away from that. They have organic innovation, but their claim to fame, of course, is their quality. And they've ascended to this level now of quality that is very hard to rival. Maybe, maybe Germany, you know, comes comes close. But China, India, the others, in the meantime, to get get the economies growing, uh, taking what's already there and adopting it, copying it, essentially, is a good strategy. Uh, why reinvent the wheel, so to speak? Now, long term, I would tell you, China, and I know for a fact that they're they're trying to do this is their success will have to come from organic innovation. Can they learn to do this? I think Korea has done a good job of this. You look at LG and Samsung and Hyundai, incredibly um, successful companies, starting off with knockoffs. Hyundai and uh, started off with you know knockoff designs. But you'll see them reach levels of their own originality uh, to put them on, a, on the world scale. India and China are going to have to do the same thing. Vietnam, same thing. Um, and, and the way they're going to be able to do that is if they apply systematic ways to be creative and generate their own value. That's, that's really going to bring uh, those economies to, to be such, you know, much more competitive with uh, the West. Now, your podcast is called Innovation Inside the Box. Why inside the box? You know, why not outside the box? <laughs> Right. It, uh, it catches people's attention, but that's not the real reason why I called it that. Here's what I, what I find fascinating about this, this creative method is that thinking outside the box is really a myth. 
most people real have heard this term. They probably use this term all the time. Think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And it's become the universal catchphrase for all creativity. The, the truth is it's based on a completely flawed uh, piece of research that was done in the 70s. A researcher used a famous puzzle called the nine-dot puzzle. And I'm willing to bet some of your listeners have heard of this puzzle before. If not, look it up, the nine-dot puzzle. It's a puzzle because there's nine dots, three in a, three dots in three rows. And you have to solve this puzzle by taking your pencil and drawing four lines to connect all the dots. The only way to solve the puzzle is to go outside the, the box, outside the box created by the nine dots. And so that's the puzzle that created this phrase. What most people don't know is that even if you tell people the answer to the puzzle, that you have to think outside the box, they still can't solve it. There's no improvement by thinking outside. In fact, what thinking outside the box does is it sends the mind out into this vast, unconstrained space. The mind suffers a condition we call idea anarchy or idea chaos. It struggles to, to settle on an idea. And what we've found is that much better creativity happens when you constrain the mind inside the box in a well-defined world that forces the mind to work harder and smarter and dramatically improves and amps up its ability to generate novel ideas. Constraints really matter. And so that's why our book is called Inside the Box and my podcast, to get people to think now that unconstrained methods um, really are limiting your ability not expanding your ability, which is counterintuitive. Uh, But let people experience both an unconstrained approach versus a more constrained approach. They'll find that, oh my God, yeah, I do work better under deadlines. I do work better with budget constraints. I do work better with limits of legal or regulatory. They have to be more creative. And all we do with this method now is harness that ability to produce um, more and better ideas than you would have produced with an unconstrained approach outside the box. One of the other things that you talk about is systemic inventive thinking. So does that have to do with patterns? Yes, systematic inventive thinking is the method that I talk about in in my podcast, along with other concepts of creativity. But SIT, as we call it, is based on five patterns uh, and a set of principles the underpinning patterns based on Jacob's research. And these these five patterns and a set of principles that go with it form the basis of this method that can be taught. I teach it as a class at at the university. I teach to my corporate clients and and write about it. And, And what I like about it, Rajiv, is that we have been able to teach this to grade school kids, you know, kids in in fourth, fifth, even third grade, even kids with with cognitive disabilities like Down syndrome. We've been able to teach it to CEOs. And God knows we <laughs> we all know how hard it is to teach a CEO something new. But I'm, I'm not kidding. We like it because it is accessible, that you can learn it and apply it. it takes a little bit of effort to learn it um, and to, to master it. But it is something that can be taught at many levels and applied to produce results. That That's key. Because if, if, if some concept is out of touch for people, if it's out of reach for them, they'll never get there. And, um, and so let's, let's have something that people can really put their arms around and use re- repeatedly, repetitively, sustainably, 
to get results. And that's the beauty of this method. Now, one of the other things that you teach is persuasion. So what's the psychology of persuasion? It, so by, by chance at, at J&J, I was fortunate to get trained by uh, the world leader in the field of psychology, Dr. Robert Cialdini. And what Dr. Cialdini did is some incredibly important research, which found that there are six universal principles of persuasion that dramatically increase the likelihood of somebody saying yes to a request. And, and there are many principles of persuasion out there, Rajiv, many. But, but Bob's research found that we tend to default to six that are used over and over to persuade others, and they're used over and over by us in letting ourselves be persuaded by those principles. It's amazing, six principles and that are so ubiquitous, so universally powerful. They work in every culture. And so let me give you an example of a, of a persuasion, a couple examples here. Uh, imagine, Rajiv, I told you that you're walking outside and you look down the street and you see a group of uh, 10 people and they're all staring up at the sky. Rajiv, what would you do? Quickly, what would you do? You would look up too. Of course you would, because you are complying with a powerful persuasion principle called the consensus principle, or it sometimes goes by a different name called social proof. Social proof means that we tend to be persuaded by the actions of others. When deciding on something, we look to evidence of what others are doing. Why? Because it tends to lead us to the right decisions. We, we tend to get the right answers when we listen to the wisdom of crowds. And we do this all the time. When we look at Amazon reviews, we look at how many reviews there are, and we look at how many positives there are. These are complete strangers, yet they're persuading us very effectively, again, because we tend to make the right decisions when we go with the wisdom of the crowd. So for you as the persuader, how do you harness that? Well, let's say you wanted to talk your your spouse into buying a new TV set. And it's a nice 50-inch uh, flat-screen TV, the latest technology, and your spouse is saying absolutely not. Well, what you would do is say, well, honey, um, do you know that all our neighbors on the block here have this same kind of TV? And And what you're doing is you're giving her the opportunity to realize that others like her or him uh, are, are making this decision and instantly it causes us to think maybe I should do it too. Another principle, and uh, there are six, I'm not gonna go through all six unless you want me to, but another principle I think is incredibly important. It's called the consistency principle. And what consistency means is this. Once we make a choice, or take a stand. We tend to feel personal and interpersonal pressure to remain consistent with that choice or stand. In other words, we don't go back on our, our decisions. Once we've made a commitment, we stick there. And the research on this is just incredibly powerful. Uh, let, me, let me share one of the famous studies, the, the Friedman and Fraser study that was done in California. Here's how the study worked, Rajiv. Researchers would go to homeowners in these nice affluent homes in California, and they would ask them to place a small sticker in their window 
um, they, they pretended they were from uh, the Community Committee for Traffic Safety. And they said, would you please put this sticker in your window that says, um, drive safely? And of course, everybody's like, sure, sure, no problem. Then later that day, they come back to those same homeowners and ask them if they would put a large six-foot ugly hand-painted sign in their yard that said, drive safely. Okay. Now, they did the test in two ways. One group of homeowners were just asked to place the large sign. And in that case, less than 20% would agree to it. But the other group that made the commitment by putting the small placard in the window first, over 80%, nearly 80%, not over, nearly 80% of those people agreed with the same request, wow. the same ugly sign. Why? Because they made that commitment first. So what this means for you in practice, if you want to use this particular principle, again, in an ethical, non-manipulative way, all you do is you say, let's go back to the TV example. You would say to your spouse, you would say, honey, you, you know, you've always been committed to having a home that is comfortable to live in, comfortable to entertain men. Not getting this TV is you're being inconsistent. And so you point out how their decision is or isn't consistent with previous things that they value. People don't want to be seen as inconsistent. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly powerful to get people to uh, to say yes to requests. I, I love the persuasion principles, and I'll tell you why. They go well with the innovation principles. And my clients, I had a client this week, for example, where I taught both because once you generate the idea, now you have the the new problem of how do I persuade people to accept it. So I end up teaching both of these um, great skills and, and you know crit critically important skills at the same time. Yeah, awesome. So do you do you cover these in your book? I cover in the book, uh, the original book, innovation. In, you know, inside the box, I talk about the um, the principles and the patterns of SIT. In my forthcoming book, that's due out in uh, 2021, it's called Adding Prestige to Your Portfolio. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I talk about both SIT, I talk about the, the patterns of luxury and the patterns of persuasion. So what I've done is I've, I've shown in this new book how to take creative methods, apply them to luxury principles to add prestige to anything but then use persuasion principles to make those prestige products even more desirable. And so it ends up being a book with, with both, uh, uh, both concepts in them. And then your podcast, can you talk a little bit about that? The pod, thank you. Yeah, the podcast is uh, called um, Innovation Inside the Box, and I talk about creativity. Uh, I, there are times when I'll probably talk a little bit about the persuasion principles as well. Like I said, they do go hand in hand. But I, um, I podcast once a week. Every Monday, we come out with a new episode. Um, they're generally shorter, 15 to 20 minutes. And they're, they're really about personal growth, personal innovation. It's still for the corporate innovator, but I, I wanted to make sure that anybody, even if you're not in a corporate scenario, um, if you work in any in healthcare or any walk of life, being creative is something we all aspire to do, whether we know it or not. We can be more effective if we have more creative ideas. 
So I'm, I'm doing this podcast to give people a, their, their weekly snippet of what can I do right now that's going to make me more creative this week. And boy, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's, it's uh, podcasting is so much fun. Um, I'm, I'm, I, and, and as you well know, Rajiv, you're so successful in this. You're, you're learning just as much as your listeners. And absolutely, <laughs> don't, absolutely. Don't, yeah, you have to admit it. You're learning every bit as much, if not more, than your listeners. And that's the great thing about, about podcasting and teaching. And where can people find your books? The books are in Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, and they are uh, also, you can learn more about them on my website, uh, drewboyd.com. And the podcast is there. All, all the resources are there. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, uh, uh, out there now and available. True. Thank you so much for joining us and walking us through innovation, creativity, and persuasion. It's been an immense pleasure hosting you today. Before I let you go, one takeaway for the listeners, anything that you'd like to share. I would like to share with people that, uh, they, you know, uh, uh, be humble. Um, I will... <laughs> I will share a piece of advice from my, my dear mother, who's 91 and um, an amazing woman. Um, but I, you know, the, I talk about you can be a great at so many things. At the end of the day, the, the greatest thing to be is to be humble, uh, to appreciate what you have, to, to, to appreciate a simple thing like, you know, being invited to your podcast. I'm very humble by it and gracious for it. And, and you'll live a better life, a, a happier life if you, Humble down a little bit. Thank you so much, Drew. It's been a pleasure having you and uh, hope to get back in touch again. Thanks, Rajiv. Take care. I hope you liked that episode and are enjoying all the episodes in Plan B Success Podcast. I'd encourage you to go subscribe on your favorite platform, whether it's any listening platform or YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so that you enjoy this content and extract from it what serves you best, what benefits you in your own life, personal, professional, business, whatever it might be. PlanB.Live is the website where you can go in order to find any episode that you would like to listen to. Three times a week, we release episodes, the first being an inspiring interview with someone who's done it, been there, done that, and can inspire you to go after what you want to achieve. Every Monday, that's the episode that gets released. And then, on Wednesdays and Fridays, we pick a topic and we talk about it in order to benefit you in your personal and professional life. At the same time, if you're someone who's interested in learning more about these concepts, if you're someone who's interested in podcasting as well, go check out planbsuccessschool.thinkific.com. That's where all the online courses are. You can learn and benefit from them there as well. There's a bunch of free courses. There's a bunch of paid courses. Start with the free ones. Get to learn what you aspire to learn. And if you want to delve deeper, then you can sign up for the other ones. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.